following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Matthew chapter 7. It'll be a glorious day when we get to see Jesus face to face, won't it? And uh, that is, that's our hope, and that's our, our trust, and uh, as the, the previous song said, we, we, we walk some lonely, long, dark, difficult days in this world, and uh, praise the Lord that Christ is enough to sustain us today, and uh, someday we'll be with Him in glory, and that is a, a precious, precious hope. Well, today we're going to conclude our study uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, and so this will be Sermon 25. Took the time to count them up uh, this week and to see, uh, see how long it took us to get through these three chapters. And uh, I, I've really enjoyed this series. I, I think I enjoy all of them. Hopefully I do, uh, since I'm the one preaching them. Um, uh, but, uh, but I've really enjoyed my study. And uh, this has been, I think, an especially uh, rich and significant a section of Scripture to, to work our way through. And, uh, and I've just been amazed time and time again at the depth of what Jesus has to say in this sermon, the power of His words, the wisdom of His words. And I, I, I hope, if you've, if you've been with us the, since we started the series, whenever it was, uh, back, I think, sometime last spring, uh, that, that you can see why, why it is that this is probably the most influential speech that has ever been given. I think that's a fair statement. This is probably the most influential speech that has ever been given. And uh, I pray that, that we won't soon forget all the things that God has taught us and the ways He's challenged us through the Sermon on the Mount. So, with that said, uh, let's look at the final passage, Matthew 7, verses 24 to 29. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like, excuse me, the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Of course, this is another famous passage in the Sermon on the Mount. And if like me, you grew up going to Sunday school, you can probably well remember singing about how the wise man built his house on the rock, and about how the foolish man built his house on the sand. But, but it's not just people that grew up in Sunday school that would probably know this passage well. I, uh, I've heard many times as secular people uh, use references to house built on the rock versus a house built on the sand. And so, you know, once again, uh, we see that Jesus is the master teacher, and he has given us here uh, an illustration that that grabs our attention, that is understandable, and, and that gives us a helpful picture. Uh, but as always, the most important thing here is not the illustration, 
uh, but the spiritual truth that stands behind it. And, and unfortunately, I think that oftentimes we are guilty of missing the main point that Jesus is trying to communicate through this parable. So, so don't assume that just because you've known this parable maybe your whole life, that, that you necessarily understand exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate, and we certainly shouldn't assume that we've mastered it, right? That, that we uh, fully embrace and fully live out what Jesus is saying. So with that said, uh, we're going to jump into the text. And, and so notice, first of all, uh, well, well, first of all, uh, this passage is built on, on a pretty simple contrast, right? The contrast between the foolish man who builds his house in the sand and the wise man who builds his house on the rock. So, so let's talk, first of all, today about the wise man. And to begin with, now, this parable is a classic example of the fact that illustrations are great at bringing truth to life and, and making it memorable, but we also have to think very carefully about what exactly that parable or, or that illustration is intended to communicate. So I'd like to begin today with a very important clarification that really is going to shape the entire direction of where we're going to go today. And that is is that this parable, in this parable, Jesus' primary concern is our eternal destiny. Now, now I bring that up because I'm guessing that probably for many of you, your assumption about this parable is similar to what mine was before I really dove into the study and began to think hard. And that is, is that I had always thought that the storms in this parable are a reference to the trials and the temptations of life in this world. And that what's at stake in this parable is my ability to thrive spiritually, to be strong and, and to thrive in this life. So therefore, if that's the case, then the primary point of the parable is to describe how you can be strong regardless of what life may bring, whatever storms the world might bring into your life. Now, now, to be fair, I think that is an important secondary application of what Jesus is saying. But the context of this parable is clear, that that's not Jesus' primary point. So, so it's, I know it's been over a month now since we were in the Sermon on the Mount, but remember that Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount with three appeals to respond to His Word. So, so if you think big picture... The, the body of the Sermon on the Mount really extends from chapter 5, verse 17, down through chapter 7, verse 12, where Jesus gives all of His instructions about righteous living. And then, in verses 13 through 27, He closes with three appeals. And, and He does so by three contrasts. There's a contrast between the wide gate and the narrow gate, between the healthy tree and the diseased tree, and now between the wise man and the foolish man. And in the first two contrasts, eternity is clearly the primary issue at stake. So look again, particularly at verse 21. All right, so verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, so his primary concern here as he closes out the Sermon on the Mount is where you will spend eternity. That if you respond positively to Jesus' words, you will, you will end up in glory. And if you reject His words, you will end up in hell. 
And notice that verse 24 begins with what word? It begins with therefore. So Jesus is building on what he has just said in these two illustrations about the wide and narrow way and the healthy tree and the, and the diseased tree. And, he is, and so he's not transitioning to a different concern. He is instead building on the same idea. So, so Jesus here is still primarily concerned with where you will spend eternity. With divine judgment and eternal destiny. Which I think it's worth emphasizing is, is far more important, right? Than, than, than living a good life today and, and having a, a fruitful life in this world. So I think it's good, you know, to, just to emphasize and, and say once in a while that our goal as a church is not merely to help you live a good life, to, to help you thrive in this world. Because as much as we want to live a good life, as much as you want to be happy and feel good about yourself and, and, and be successful, all of that is meaningless if I miss out on heaven, right? And Jesus states the matter bluntly in Matthew 16, verse 26, where he asks, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So I think it's good for all of us to remember, and again, this is not happy-go-lucky things to say, but we need to remember often that all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, we are all marching towards death. And all of us someday are going to stand before the Lord, and, and there is nothing more important in life than that we prepare well for the day that we give an account of ourselves to Christ. So, so the question then is, well, how do I prepare well for that day? And so notice first, that the wise man here builds his house or builds his life on Jesus' words. So he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. Now, now I do want to just mention here quickly that, that there is not really a big difference between Jesus' words and the Father's words. So, so Jesus just said in verse 21 that, that the person who goes to heaven will be the one who does the will of my Father. And here he talks about his own words. So, so verse 24, though, is, is especially, though, I believe, looking back on everything Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and since this is our last sermon in this series, I just want to do a little bit of review. So, so look back at chapter 5 and verse 17. Chapter 5, verse 17. And Jesus says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So, so Jesus there is saying, I am the authoritative voice of God. I'm not just passing along someone else's words, someone else's teaching. I am the fulfillment of the law. And so then he says in verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he warns here that he demands a higher righteousness than the legalism of the Pharisees and the scribes. He demands true righteousness and true repentance. So, so back in chapter 7, when he talks about these words of mind, he is especially looking back on everything that he has said in the Sermon on the Mount. And, 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 he is, and, and notice the two responses of the wise man. It says, everyone who hears these words of mine 
and acts on them may be compared to a wise man. Now, now that's in contrast, notice, to the foolish man. So what does verse 26 say about the foolish man? It says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man. So, so both guys hear, right? But one acts and the other does not act. And I think that that contrast was, was probably very important to Jesus. Because I, you, know, you can imagine him again preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's there on this hillside along the Sea of Galilee. He's got probably a massive crowd out in front of him. And I imagine that, that, I mean, it would be so cool to be live for the Sermon on the Mount, wouldn't it? And these people, probably all of them are listening intently. I mean, they've never heard anyone talk like Jesus. And I imagine that most people that were in the crowd that day, they're looking at Jesus. They're smiling. They're nodding their head in agreement. They're saying, this is great. And if you were to ask those people, almost all those people, you know, are you a disciple of Jesus? I would venture to guess that almost all of them would have said, yes. This guy's great. I like everything that he says, and I want to be a disciple of Jesus. But of course, Jesus knew their hearts perfectly. And he knew that many of them had no genuine interest in truly submitting their hearts to his word and living what he had said. And and you know, it's no different in our day, is it? Because the pollsters will tell you that there are scads of evangelicals all over America. They're going to tell you that there are uh, just millions of them and, and they're everywhere. And if most of those people who say they're evangelical were sitting in this church today, they too would nod their head in agreement and say, I believe in Jesus. I believe uh, that this is His Word and, and I want to follow Him. But you know, with a lot of them, if you really were able to really examine their life and look at how they live, their faith is little more than just a cultural tradition. They pick and choose which parts of Jesus' Word they're going to obey and which ones they're not. And when it really comes down to it, they don't have any genuine interest in fully submitting their hearts to what Jesus says in His Word. And Jesus says that hearing is not enough. Nodding your head, saying you believe in Jesus is not enough. You know, a, a true disciple does not look at the Bible as merely a good sentimental tradition. He sees it as God's perfect authoritative word. And by God's grace, we submit our hearts to everything that God says. The wise man doesn't just hear, he acts. Now, now I know that's basic, right? That's basic for this crowd. But but again, I've just been really struck recently by, by how many professing Christians are 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 not ruled by this word. They're ruled by their emotion. They're ruled by the shifting tides of culture far more than they realize. And so many people have embraced a lot of falsehood and it shows in how they actually live their lives. So Jesus here pushes us to the example of the wise man who doesn't just hear, he acts. And specifically, Jesus compares him here to a wise man who builds his house on a rock. 
Now, this is a, a great illustration, uh, especially for us living here in the desert. We, we, can, we can grasp, we can understand this illustration really well. Uh, because specifically, uh, Jesus here is picturing someone, both guys, as building houses somewhere in a very arid, dry climate during the dry season. All right, so, so let's suppose that, that you move into Apple Valley. You've never lived here before. You move into Apple Valley on June 1st. And you decide, I want to build a house here in the desert. And you look around, and, and in June, around here, generally speaking, it's always sunny. There's never a cloud in the sky. There's never a storm. You know, you get a little bit of wind. But, but in the month of June, you, you look around, you think, man, I, I could build my house anywhere. And, and nothing's going to happen to my house. So, so you know, that, that's, that's how you think. But, but of course, the wise man here, the wise man recognizes that June is not the weather year-round. And in particular, in the country of Israel, Israel's deserts are especially known, uh, more so than ours, for getting torrential downpours, uh, which could turn you know, maybe a, a dry uh, river ba- basin into a raging river in a matter of moments. And so the wise man, he knows that this June weather is not the only weather that there is. He plans ahead. And so rather than going the easy route and building his house on, on the smooth, flat river bottom, he instead finds a rock. Or, or more specifically, the Greek word here would communicate bedrock. He finds bedrock, and he is determined to build his house on this rock. Now, which is easier? You know, if you've if you you know, got to build your house by hand, and you can build your house down in this smooth, flat, soft river bottom, or go up on this hill and build on a jagged, hard chunk of rock, which is easier? Well, the sand, right? But the wise man appreciates the coming threat and the rock's strength. And therefore, I mean, you can imagine, he goes to a lot of extra effort to to dig into that bedrock, to, to found the house in the rock, to, to make it smooth and, and, to build, and to create a place where he can put his house. And he anchors his home to an immovable rock. And Jesus here similarly says that the spiritually wise man has a very clear vision of eternity. And he appreciates the strong foundation of God's Word. And therefore, he believes everything that this Word says. And he builds his life on the book. You know, that includes every command that God gives, but but not just the commands, every truth claim and every promise. Especially, we build our lives on the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection. We build our lives in all of it. And then by God's grace, the wise man strives to conform his life to everything that Jesus has said. To obey his word, to live it. So so I want to challenge you to be the wise man and see the infinite value of God's truth. Because yes, building your life, staking your eternity on this book is hard. Jesus commands us to do hard things. He commands us to believe hard things that, that most people think are absurd. He calls us to take difficult stands. But folks, this word is a sure foundation. It will not budge because it is rooted in the character of God 
and it will keep you for all of eternity. So, so I want to urge you, don't just give lip service to this book. You know, don't just pick the parts that work well with your agenda and, and your plans for life. No, hear the word of Jesus and act on it. You know, as the wise men does, sink your foundation deep into the rock. Believe this book. Trust everything it says. Obey every word. And be the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And, and notice what the result will be. The result is, is the, the, the wise man can withstand God's judgment. So verse 25 says, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Now, now remember, again, that when we read this verse, we should imagine these these sudden powerful storms that, that could come up in Israel. And, and we get similar ones here occasionally. Not, not so often, but, but occasionally we'll get these intense storms that will just come out of nowhere. And so you can imagine this guy, he's in his house, and the rain is pounding on the windows. The wind is howling outside. and you know, For the most part, I mean, that's okay. But then the floodwaters begin to rise. And that's when the problems come. You know, that's, I remember growing up, uh, when I was a kid in, in 1993, growing up in Illinois, the Mississippi River uh, had a major flood. And I remember uh, seeing some of these videos of, of the dikes along the Mississippi breaking, and so these floodwaters would rush into the plain, and they would pick up these houses like they were little toys and just tear them apart and, and carry them away. And, and it was stunning to see the power of, of these rivers. And, what, and yet, what does Jesus say about the wise man's house? Despite this incredible flood, it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. So the wise man's hard choice to build on the rock paid off, and his house survived. And again, I want to emphasize today that the, that the storm here primarily illustrates the final judgment of God. And folks, the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear that all people will one day stand before the Lord. And every one of us is going to give an account of our lives to Christ. And Jesus here is warning us that God's judgment will be like a mighty storm. Now I recognize that 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 idea of thinking of God's judgment as a mighty storm might make us feel a bit uncomfortable. You know, we want to think of God as, as kind and, and gracious and, and, and always gentle. And of course, He is those things. But, but, but we also have to recognize that His judgment is fierce. And, and I think we all, as well need to recognize that, that we have to be careful not to read too much into an illustration. Right? So, so the point here is not to say that God's judgment is like a blind raging, irrational river that's just angry and blowing up, right? No, God's judgment is just, it is true. And as well, keep your finger here, but turn back to Ezekiel chapter, Ezekiel chapter 13. Ezekiel chapter 13. Because, because it's worth noting that this picture of God's judgment as, as, a, as a powerful storm is rooted in the Old Testament. And and for the sake of context, I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. 
But I particularly want to emphasize uh, verses 11 through 14. So Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 9. God says, So my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will have no place in the council of my people, nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel, that you may know that I am the Lord God. It is definitely because they have misled my people by saying peace when there is no peace. When anyone builds a wall, behold, they plaster it over with whitewash. So, so what's going on here is you have these false prophets in Israel and they're saying everything's okay. You know, it's like there's a, there's a failure in the structure of the house and they just cover it with plaster. Which, does plaster fix the problem? No. It just covers it. So they're lying to the people of Israel. And notice what God says in verses 11-14. through 14. So tell those who plaster it over with whitewash that it will fall. A flooding rain will come, and you, O hailstones, will fall, and a violent wind will break out. Behold, when the wall has fallen, will you not be asked, where is the plaster which you have plastered it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a violent wind break out in my wrath. There will also be in my anger a flooding rain and hailstones to consume it in wrath. So I will tear down the wall which you have plastered over with whitewash, and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation is laid bare, and when it falls, you will be consumed in its midst. And you will know that I am the Lord. You can see in that passage that the judgment of God is pictured as a powerful storm. And it obliterates this poorly constructed home whose problems have been covered up with plaster. And considering, in returning to Matthew chapter 7, considering the context here of verses 13 through 23, we should understand the warning in the parable the same way. So, so yes, it's true, all right, that, that you're going to endure a lot of storms in this world. You're going to endure trials and temptations. There's going to be the natural sorrows of life, as well as the spiritual temptations that come. And it is true. That, that if your life is, is rooted in Christ, that Christ will sustain you through every challenge of this world. But folks, even more than we are concerned about those things, we, we should understand that God's judgment is far more serious than anything that we will ever face in this world. After all, God's standard of, holy, standard of holiness is high and strong. And His justice demands that you attain that standard. So, so therefore, you will, you will not be judged someday when, when you stand before God. I mean, all of us are going to stand before God. And when you stand before God, God's not going to say, well, you did better than the guy down the street. So you're good. Or, or well, you did better than your parents did. So you're good. Or, or well, you did better than, than, than the godliest person at church. No. Every one of us is going to be judged by the holiness of God. And heaven and hell will be at stake. That's not something for us to take lightly. But but Jesus encourages us that if your life is anchored in the rock of Jesus, you can withstand that judgment. So, So the question is, well, what does that mean? 
Hey, what does it mean that I'm anchored to Christ? Well, well, fundamentally it means that I have been born again. And that I have been placed in Christ. So, so that I will not be judged by my righteousness. Which is a certain fail, right? But, but instead I will be judged by the righteousness of Jesus. And notice the assurance that's given in Romans chapter 8 for those who are safe in Christ. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, no condemnation. And then he says later on in verses 33 and 34, who will bring a charge against God's elect? And that's thinking again to that final judgment. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So yes, God's judgment is powerful. And yet God assures us that there is no condemnation. No judgment on those who are safe in Christ in that day. And remarkably, the Scriptures teach that that assurance, that security is available simply through faith. Paul says earlier in chapter 4, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but as what is due. Isn't that how most people think about getting to God? Like they work. They do certain things, and they expect God to give them a wage at the end of eternal life. But that's not how it works. Instead, he says, but it is to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. So even in my ungodliness, I believe on Jesus and I am justified in Him. So so I don't earn my salvation. I simply receive it by faith. Of course, our text though adds, that saving faith never just stays in my head or, or simply in my thoughts. He goes on to add, he, what, what does he say about the wise man? The wise man does not just hear, he acts. And of course, that only makes sense, right? Like that if I really believe that Jesus is the Creator and Lord, and I really believe that my sin is so terrible that it put Jesus on the cross and demanded the justice of God, then I'm not going to just run back to it with abandon. I'm going to live a transformed life in the power of Jesus. Now, of course, I'm never going to obey Him perfectly. So He's not saying here, acts in the sense that I never fall up. The Scriptures are clear that I fail often. But by God's grace, I will strive to obey His Word. And incredibly, Jesus promises us here in verses 24 and 25, That if I believe the Gospel, and I am being transformed by the Gospel, that I can face the most terrifying thing in the universe. The judgment of God by His righteousness. I can face it with absolute assurance that my life is founded on the rock and it will not fail. I will be secure in that day. So I want to urge you, be the wise man. Build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe everything that He says in His Word and especially believe the truth of the Gospel. And then let it transform everything about you. Your thoughts, your affections, ultimately your actions. 
Because Jesus is a foundation that will not fail. So that's the wise man. Then notice the contrast with the foolish man. So verse 26 laments the fact that the foolish man hears the word, but he does not obey the word. So, so again, it says, everyone who hears these words of mine does not act on them, but, but does not act and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So, so again, the contrast there is really important between verses 24 and 26, right? Because the wise man hears and acts, the foolish man hears, but he does not act. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the foolish man is just a dirty, rotten pagan. All right, because, because we've all known people and we've all seen people who build very spiritually impressive houses on the sand. You know, after all, during the dry season, I mean, again, you could go out, you could find, you could go out in the Mojave River bottom and you could build a mansion in June, right? Or you could find some other place. I mean, we don't really, I don't know, we don't get a lot of water here, but, but, but you could go find, you know, some river bottom and you could build a beautiful mansion in the month of June and it would look great. And, uh, and Jesus just warned his audience that, that some, some, some people can look very spiritually impressive and yet not be genuine followers. I mean, look again at what he says in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, sadly, we don't have to look far to see people that fit that exactly. I mean, they build impressive spiritual mansions, but they are built on the sand. You know, they, they, they meet every worldly measure of piety. They've got the right family heritage. They wear the right clothes. They do all the, the impressive things. They've, they've done lots of seemingly spiritual works. And yet they are not fully anchored to the truth and to the demands of God's Word. You know, maybe, you know, thinking of some of the false religions that are around, they, they don't believe what the Bible says about the nature of God. They don't believe that He is a triune God. Or they don't believe that He is fully God, or Jesus is fully God and fully man. You know, maybe they deny their depravity. You know, I'm not that bad. And certainly I can do something to add to the work of Jesus. Uh, on and on it goes. Or, or you know what I think is more common is, is that there's lots of people that would say, I believe everything in this book. But you know, when it comes to obeying the commands of Scripture, let's just think in terms of what we've studied in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, they They lie. They commit adultery. They break their marriage vows. They hate their enemy. Or, or they just prioritize earthly treasure over heavenly treasure. You know, they do all those things and they do them not you know, with conviction and desiring to get on the right track to serve the Lord. They just say, eh, I don't care what God said. I'm going to be a liar. Or, or whatever it is. Or, or I don't care what God says. I'm going to go have a good time contrary to His Word. There's lots of people like that. And Jesus says that that life 
no matter how impressive it may look, is like building your house on the sand. You know, again, it's really convenient to build your house in the sand, right? It's flat, it's smooth, you can manipulate it into the shape that you want very easily. I mean, my yard is a big sandbox. You know, so anytime we need to dig a trench or do any, I mean, it's really easy to do stuff around our yard. But you know, sand doesn't provide much certainty. And Jesus warns that the dry season will not last forever. And God promises that all of us will give an account of our lives. And verse 27 warns that the foolish man is swept away by God's judgment. And again, verse 27 says, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And notice particularly there the, the emphasis at the end, right? I mean, Jesus closes His words in the Sermon on the Mount by saying, and it fell, and great was its fall. And again, we can all imagine this sobering, this sobering picture because we've all seen videos like, like I described earlier. You've seen videos of, of a house getting swept away by a flood. And I think back a few years ago when that tsunami hit Japan and, and you'd see these impressive structures you know, sitting there and all of a sudden that tsunami wave comes through and it just obliterated stuff. And, um, and in a moment, you know, the, the surging water can do incredible damage. And, and folks, that's how Jesus portrays the judgment of God. Now, now again, we need to recognize, all right, and, and it's so important we understand that, that, that God's judgment is not irrational, harsh, or random. Like a tsunami. You know, God's judgment is not like, you know, an angry guy that shows up in the room and he's just throwing stuff and hitting the walls and has no control over what's taking place. That's not how the judgment of God's works. I mean, God's judgment will be rooted in perfect justice, perfect knowledge, and perfect holiness. But like a flood, it will be powerful. And no one will survive if they do not have the right foundation. So it doesn't matter how spiritual someone may be. It doesn't matter how many good deeds they maybe have done. It doesn't matter who your parents are or anything like that. If you have not built your house on the rock, on the Gospel of Jesus, then Jesus warns that someday you will be swept away into eternal destruction in hell. Now, now, I recognize that's not a pleasant thing to talk about, right? I mean, you'd rather, you, you would rather me just talk about love and kindness and happiness and things like that today. But, but Jesus here, the perfect Son of God, closes the Sermon on the Mount with three appeals that are rooted in the deepest love possible. The deepest love possible. And Jesus here is, is far more interested in making sure that all of us are ready for, for this final day than He is in telling us the things that we want to hear or that are popular. And He, he understands that we all need to know that God is our Creator and our authority. And that we will be judged by the standard of His holiness. And if you are not prepared rightly, it will end in the worst tragedy imaginable. 
So, so do not ignore the warnings of Jesus. You know, do not sit here and think, well, 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 I've got this over here going on and that going on over here and I'm scared of what people might think or I'm scared of what Jesus might demand. Do not let any of that keep you or distract you from the sobering reality that Jesus brings before us here. And if you have never been saved, then, then please acknowledge Jesus for who He really is. He is your Creator and He is your Lord. And acknowledge the fact that you have sinned against His will. You have broken His law. And that's not a minor thing. It demands the justice. It demands the judgment of God. But of course then recognize that Jesus bore that judgment in His body on the cross. He he, he took your punishment so, so that you would not have to. And then put your trust in what Jesus has done. So if you have never been saved, please acknowledge those realities and trust in the finished work of Christ and be saved. And if you do, I mean, this, this passage should, should fill us with the most incredible hope imaginable. Because if my life is founded on the rock, I have no fear. You know, again, I mean, Romans 8, verse 1, one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you do not know that assurance, that security, we would love to speak with you today about how you can know that Jesus is your Savior and your life is founded on the rock. And if you are saved, give thanks for the assurance of Christ. Because you know, the reality is we, face, we all face lots of uncertainties and fears. But there is no uncertainty with Jesus. He is a rock that will not move. And no matter what trials may be ahead in your life, no matter what temptations Satan may put in the way, we know how the story ends. The story ends in glory with Christ forever and ever. So praise God for, for the assurance that's there if your life is founded on the rock. And then of course, uh, in light of that, continue to act on the truths of Jesus. Continue to build on that rock. Now, do not let the world, the flesh, and the devil begin to, to, to tempt you to, to stray from that rock and, and to put your confidence, your hope, your, your, your efforts into other things. No. Live in this book every day of your life. We actively rest in, in the Christ and in the promises of the Gospel. Go deeper and deeper into His Word. Live everything that the Scriptures teach. And do so knowing that if He can sustain you through the judgment of God, like, like if, if, if Christ is enough, then you, that you can withstand the holiness of God in the final day. You know, I think about the great white throne judgment. You know, Revelation 20 says, that when, when the judge appears, heaven and earth flee. I mean, think about that picture. And yet, if I am in Christ, I will stand and I will look into His eyes with absolute confidence. That's incredible. It's incredible. The foundation is sure. So if Christ 
can sustain you in that moment before the holiness of God, He can sustain you through any little thing that this world will throw at you. So you will not fail if you are founded on the rock. Well, well, that's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And, And notice how the crowd responds in verses 28 and 29. It says, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at His teaching. For He was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. You know, Jesus didn't stand up. He wasn't quoting this guy and that guy and saying, well, I think this, I think that. He is the authoritative Son of God. This is God's Word. And and in this sermon, we have seen that He calls us to a true religion which involves true repentance and true righteousness. That, That is only possible by the grace of God. Right? I mean, Jesus can demand all of this because He gives us the grace to do it. And the people here responded with amazement. Wow. And, and we should be amazed as well. And we should go in the strength of Christ today to live out the standard that He has set. Let's have everyone bow your head and close your eyes. Before we sing, I just want to give a moment. We've made an especially strong appeal today for the Gospel. And so every head bows. There's, if there's anyone here today that you do not know that you are ready to stand before the Lord someday. You, know, you don't know that you are saved, you're secure in Christ. I'd like to pray for you. So if you could just raise your hand, especially if you have questions that we can answer. Is there anyone like that today that has questions about the Gospel? I'd love to pray for you. Alright. Lord, thank You so much for this truth. Thank You for the certainty of the Gospel. And Father, I pray that all of us would rest in the grace that You provide. God, I pray that no one would leave today without knowing the assurance that they are in Christ and are safe. And Father, I pray for those of us that know You as Savior, help us, Lord, to live every day of our lives rooted in the sure foundation of Your Word. And God, I pray that we would trust in You and walk in You. In Jesus' name.